Hey, podcast listener, are you working so hard you wonder if the money is even worth it? If you're like most CPAs I work with, you have way too much to do, you feel relentless deadline pressure, and worst of all, you feel torn between serving clients and being with family. What if I told you you could work a 40-hour week without losing a dime? I know it sounds impossible, but my Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is designed for CPAs just like you who want to get their lives back. Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is launching soon. In it, you'll learn how to start getting your time back week by week, make your workload manageable while still bringing in plenty of revenue, what to put in your packages and how to price them, and so much more. Don't leave your future to chance. CPA Mastermind will get you on the same profitable path you've been searching for. With unlimited coaching, your success is guaranteed. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there. And so you've got to find what's important to you. We only get so many laps of the sun. No one's getting out of here alive, right? You've got to have the life that you want. So it starts with you, planning it with your, your significant other or with yourself or with your kids or whoever. And then the next step is say, well, what, what does that business need to look like to give me the life that I want? Welcome to Smart Strategy for CPAs, where I help you work less and earn more. My name is Geraldine Carter. Many accountants over-service and undercharge their clients. This creates a lose-lose situation where clients don't value what the accountant does, and the accountant isn't charging enough to be able to provide the level of service the client actually wants. Not only does undercharging result in the accountant leaving piles of cash on the table, but more importantly, the client is left wanting. The thing is that it's not lack of expertise and information that is causing accountants to stay stuck on the self-professed hamster wheel. It's something else. Here today to talk with me about this is my guest, James Ashford. James helps accountants to price more profitably, sell more confidently, and to give significantly more value to their clients. He achieved this in his own firm, MAP, where along with founder Paul Barnes, they developed GoProposal and implemented a sales culture to ensure they were maximizing value for and from their clients. James now helps thousands of accountants around the world to achieve the same through his software, GoProposal, and with his most recent books, The Art of Pricing and Selling to Serve. James Ashford, welcome to the Smart Strategy for CPAs podcast. Uh, thank you for having me, Geraldine. Looking forward to this. So let's start out from a slightly different tack, and that is that you have something of a non-traditional path in the accounting space. How did you come to be an expert in sales and pricing for accountants? Yeah, so, so I never kind of say that I'm an expert, I guess, because I always think that it's the people that are actually there doing it on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, they're the ones who are the real experts that actually take the ideas and the advice and, you know, ha have to have these conversations. I guess the only thing that would, I guess, qualify me as a sales expert is I used to be a close-up magician, Geraldine. <laughs> so I used to have to go. So I was a close-up magician. I'd go to weddings and corporate events and things like this. And I would have to go to tables of normally drunk people who don't believe in magic, tend to dislike magicians, didn't want me there, had had a few drinks, and I had five minutes to convince them that magic was real. So it was like the toughest sales gig in the world, right? So I used to have to go to table after table of convincing people that magic was real. And that was my kind of my founding in sales. And I never really, it's that idea of you kind of don't join the dots up moving forward. And I met a software developer and he said, he said, you'd be the best salesperson ever 
will you come and work at my software company? And I'm like, yeah, sure, let's let's go for it. And I think, you know, I, I have a good understanding of people, you know, spent a lot of time looking at psychology and and just understanding how to develop proper relationships with people, how to have difficult conversations if need be, you know, but just how to develop long-term relationships with honesty and transparency. And I guess that translates to what I consider to be important skills in selling. So when it comes to selling and sales, to come back to the piece about pushy and gross and so on, that has been a real experience for many people to feel like they've been pushed into something or maybe kind of tricked or duped or they kind of bought something they didn't really want or it wasn't the right fit. And sometimes people are left with a bad taste in their mouth and then they, of course, blanket the entire idea of sales with that sort of taste. What do you find accountants are missing out on when they hold this misconception about having effective sales conversations? I see selling as the most the most important skill uh, an accountancy firm can develop. People will say, well, of course you're going to say that. You've got a book around it. You've got software around it. But what I actually mean when I, when I say this is not even selling in the sense of selling your your services, or, or you know, but I mean, we're always selling all of the time. If you speak to most firms, one of the biggest challenges they have is getting their clients to do what they want them to do when they need it doing in the way that they want it done. So like, you know, clients will typically wait till last minute and turn up with a carrier bag of receipts or, you know, not submit some data when you need it. Well, the skill required to get them to do what you want them to do is selling. That is a sales skill. So when I kind of, so I had a, somebody message me recently and, and this accountant, she's great at what she does. And she says, I've got this, I've got a handful of clients that pay me a good fee. I've charged them right. They're paying me monthly, uh, but they just never do what I want them to do. Should I get rid of them? I'm like, no, this is just another sale that we've got to make, right? And the example I always give, I always kind of liken clients to kids. So <laughs> if I said to my kids, when do you want to go to bed? What do you want to eat? What do you want to do? It'd be like, Midnight, play Fortnite, eat ice cream, right? Like, but that's not going to happen because I've got to do what's right for them. And they're going to go to bed when I want them to go to bed. Now, I'll give them a choice. They can run up the stairs or I can carry them upstairs or I can chase them. That, they can choose that part. But either way, they're going upstairs when I tell them to go up. And sometimes people confuse kindness with being nice. So I'm being kind to my children when I make them eat vegetables. I'm being kind to my children when I get them to go to bed at a certain time and to read instead of watch TV, right? But they might not interpret that as nice. And you know what? I'm not bothered whether they interpret that as being nice or not. I'm acting, I'm acting kindly for them. And it's the same with, with clients. So many firms are not, no, you can't see me doing air quotes. I'm doing air quotes. Like they're nice to their clients, but they're not kind to their clients. And they're not kind to themselves either. And so th this is why I believe that selling is such an important skill because you're either selling or you're being sold to. You're selling your client on the fact that they have to give you this information today at 5 p.m. Or they're selling you on the fact that no, they're not. They're going to give it to you next week. Either way, a sale is happening. Yeah. So for your, I love the children analogy. Do you want to go to bed at 7.30 or 7.31? You choose. Yeah. Right. Do you want to get me your receipts today by 4.55 or 5 o'clock? Your choice. Yeah. You're getting your receipts to me by today because it's good for both of us. Yes. When we have clarity around what, what sort of proper client behavior is, if you will. What you're getting into is that sales is very much not just acquiring the client that there are 
so-called sales conversations throughout the duration of the relationship that you are always working together with your client in partnership to help create the results that they say they want. So how do you accountants shift from being passive in the relationship to being proactive? It's a really, really good question, Geraldine, and I'll do my very best to answer it. And I've got a couple of examples of where I know of firms that have made that change and they've gone from being passive to being proactive. And I know the results that they've got in very short spaces of time. And I'll share those with you in a second. And I'm not sharing anything that hasn't been shared publicly. So all we're helping our clients to do is we're helping them to make to take one step closer towards making the right decision for themselves, ultimately, whether that's with buying from us in the first place, buying more from us once they we've got them in, or, you know, adopting a, a process or a system or a piece of technology, you know, getting them to use cloud technology instead of their desktop software, getting them to give you information on time. These are all cells, but we're ultimately helping them to make the best decisions for themselves to move forward with us so we can have a harmonious relationship. And this, all of this starts when we first form the relationship with the client, like this is where you set the rules and the parameters. So if you don't want your client to walk all over you, you have to look at what happened in the first place and how we got to this point. It's easier in hindsight and it's easier with a new client. But if we just give you an example, like what people will do is they'll, they'll go and have their initial client meeting. They'll ask the client, what is it that you want? You, You tell me what you want rather than me telling you what I believe you need. So they allow the client to dictate what they want, but the reality is they don't know what they want. That first meeting they'll have set for an hour and I guarantee the meeting will overrun. You know, it'd be like an hour and a half or something like that. So in all of these interactions, they're communicating something that's unsaid. Then they'll set a price and typically the client will try and get them down on price. So they may, you know, get them to discount the price. And then afterwards or a short time afterwards, they'll say, hey, I know you're running payroll for me for 10 members of staff, but I forgot about Sue. She just works part-time. She's just at a weekend. She's just a cleaner. Could you please just run payroll for her? And then you say, you know what? We'll do that for you. And you'll say it in the interest of kind of developing the relationship. In all of those things, you've allowed the meeting to overrun. You've allowed them to decide what they want, not what they need. You've discounted the price and you've given them something extra. You've said to the client, you're in control of this relationship. My time has no value. Our services have no value. You do whatever you want. And then six months, 12 months down the line, you're frustrated because this client no longer values what you do. And you're like, you train them not to do that. On day one, you train them that. So we have to be so careful of what we did early on. But once we realize we've done that, it's then about wrestling control back. And this can be more of a challenge. And these are, this is... The, a couple of examples that I'll give you when this has happened. So we've got a really great client using GoProposal and they're a firm in Ireland and very well-versed, zero award-winning accountancy firm, you know, very well-educated, been on lots of different courses, could tell you the ins and outs of how to price, knows, knows it all, but wasn't doing it. And I think when people don't do something like that, when they don't go and do the thing they need, they know they need to do, it's because they associate more pain with doing it than with not doing it. Okay, we avoid, we'll avoid pain. So he associated more pain with having those conversations with his clients than with not doing it. So we didn't do it. He then became ill and he had a, a fairly serious illness 
And this made him question his life and his family and his job and, and work and everything that he was doing. Thankfully, he came through the illness and he was fine, but he had a different perception of life now. He then got hold of our products and our methodologies, and he repriced his entire, his entire client base within three months. In that process, in that time, he lost 17% of his clients during those three months. One of those clients was his cousin. He was from a small town in Ireland, right? This is not good. Like Having this difficult conversation with family members, he was prepared for the cousin to leave. Lost 17% of his clients in the process, and in the same time, increased his revenue by 26%. It freed him up. He was able to employ a member of staff at a more senior level that he thought he was able to. He reduced his working week from five days to four days, and it set him on a whole new track of growth. I've, I've told that story loads of times. I love the story. It's a great story. The bit I've never added on because I didn't know it until fairly recently. The cousin came back a year later, said, I made a huge mistake. I know you were charging me a lot more. Can I sign up? And he said, you can do, but the fees have gone up. <laughs> so if you want to sign up, the fees are now more. He signed up, right? He came back. Nice. So, yeah. you know, I love that story. And, and then another one was a, a lady and a relatively small firm. She, she came to trial our software and, and, and attempted to kind of set it up and go and reprice some clients. And for whatever reason, it never played out. And she left. And then six months later, she, she, I got a message. I remember, I distinctly remember I was walking out of the train station. I got a message from her and she said, hey, James, would you have me back? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Like what's happened? What's changed? She says, I'm struggling to make payroll for my team this, this week. I, I know I need to make a change. Can we do it this time? I'm like, we can do it. We're going to have to listen to what I tell you to do this time. She came back on board. This was a Friday. Over the weekend, she set the pricing up in the system she had a training session with my team Monday morning. Monday afternoon, she went and re she went to her number one client. This was her top paying client. So I'll do a quick translation. So $200 a month. So it, a big client to her was a $200 a month client. She went back to them, had a completely different conversation, and we just went in and had the confidence to say, look, this is what you need. Here's the line, Geraldine. If I were you, in your position, knowing what I know, this is what I would want. And I'm going to tell you what that is. She told him it came out at $2,000 a month. She thought he was then going to kick her out of the room, kick her out of the building. This was back in the day when you could actually go and sit with people and talk to people without masks and things. And uh, his next question was, he said, where, where have you found the confidence to, to present this to me? And she told him. And his next question was, where do I sign? Yeah. Nothing had changed. Like the system hadn't changed. The philosophies hadn't changed. The only thing that had changed was her mindset in that pre previously she associated having these difficult conversations in her mind with so much pain, the fear of rejection, the fear of judgment, all of those things that are innate within us as human beings that we can never avoid and escape. But then what happened was the pain of her current reality in her life not seeing her kids, not seeing her husband as much, not being able to pay herself, not being able to make payroll, that pain had now increased way beyond what it would mean to have a conversation with a client. So that became easy. And that was the breakthrough moment for her. I love those two stories. There's a thread in each that I want to tug on. And um, from the first story, it's this person kind of went over the hump, right? And went up from one side of undercharging, working with everyone and so on. And it took a life-threatening illness for him to 
say enough is enough. With the second story, the woman suddenly, not suddenly, but fat, like dug deep and found the confidence. <laughs> Does it have to take a life-threatening illness, right? And coming out the other side of it for people to go, okay, I'm going to do this now. I mean, how can we lower the hurdle so that people don't have to have a life-threatening illness to be able to have these difficult conversations? And really, they're not even that difficult, but what, what shift needs to happen internally so that they can stop fretting and fearing some of these conversations with their clients? Uh, it's a great question. And I've asked myself this and, and I've kind of, I've tried to kind of interpret this and help people with this. You know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Tony Robbins and Tony Robbins was the guy that changed my life. And he talks about this when he says like, when, when something's a should, you, you know, you won't do it when it becomes a must, you will do, you will find a way, whatever, whatever it takes you will find a way. And if you can't find a way, you will make a way, right? And so in those circumstances before, what was a should became a must. Now you're absolutely right. How can we manufacture that in our minds? How can we become aware of that? And I think if this last you know, year, 12, 18 months has, has taught anybody anything, it's that the value you bring to the world is huge, right? And all of these accountants and bookkeepers and CPAs have been doing incredible work for their clients the clients are really valuing them a lot more, but I know they've gone above and beyond. And it's now a time to hit reset on a lot of those relationships and to reestablish the relationship on different terms. One thing that I say to people to try and there's, there's a couple of things you can say, I think, to help them to snap out of it. One is if you was to acquire this business today, what decisions would you make? And what, what I'm trying to do there with that question is to uncouple them from the emotional attachment they have to their clients. That's the first one. Wait, repeat the question. I didn't repeat the question. If you, if you was to just acquire your business today, so you're acquired your accounting business, you've just bought your business today, what decisions would you make? So you're looking at it afresh, right? So you've got no emotional attachment to the clients. You've got mo no emotional attachment to the staff, nothing. What decisions do you now need to make in that business? You know, so that's a good, it's a good question to think about. Another one that I say to people is, um, you know, when you lock your door at night, and you kiss your significant other or your kids or your dog goodnight or whatever it is, your teddy bear, whatever it is that you've kissed goodnight and you've locked your door. <laughs> no one's thinking of you. None of your clients are lying in bed thinking, I hope she's all right. I hope he's okay. I hope he, he works so hard. I hope he's got the life that he wants. I hope he sleeps. Sound. No one cares. Right? No one's coming to your funeral, right? None of your clients are. The world that you've created for yourself it is the most important thing that the happiness, the contentment, the joy, the peace of mind that you have in that world is so, so important. And that's where it starts, right? It starts with you. What is it that you want? What's the world that you want? Because the reason what the, there's only one thing that's unique about your accounting business. And the only thing that's unique about it is it's the only business on planet earth that's designed to give you the life that you want, right? So it has to start with what is the life that you want? For me in my business, so I've got a software company and I'm a director of an accounting firm. For me, what was really important was what, taking my kids to and from school every day. That was what drove me to make my decisions in my business. I've then built my business to, to allow me to have that life that I want. Yesterday, I had a couple of meetings planned. It was a beautiful sunny day where I'd, we've not even seen the sunshine for so long. <laughs> the children are on school holidays. So I messaged a team and I said, cancel my meetings. We're off for a walk. I'm off with my family. We're off out for the day. Like, that's what's important to me. Okay. And so you've got to find what's important to you. We only get so many laps of the sun, 
No one's getting out of here alive, right? You've got to have the life that you want. So it starts with you planning it with your, your significant other or with yourself or with your kids or whoever. And then the next step is say, well, what, what does that business need to look like to give me the life that I want? How many clients will I need? What will they need to pay me? And you know, how many staff will I need to achieve that? And you're working backwards, but you have to put you at the center to be able to then figure out what that needs, what that needs to happen. Once you've established that and you've built your reason why to do it, the next thing to know, and this is a really big one, Geraldine, what people do is they over catastrophize in their mind. They think right, this, is what the, this is the fear, right? What if we increase our prices and I go back to my clients and they all leave. Yeah. Every single one of them leaves and they all post on social media, a mean, greedy person I am. And now because I've increased their fees, they can no longer eat. You know, they're, they're rendered homeless. They, there's not another accountant that can serve them. Like we, we build all this in our mind. And the reality is, is you only have to reprice five clients or two clients, right? Go and do it. See what happens. Make an adjustment. Go and reprice five more and make an adjustment. Like we're not asking you to go and do this with everyone. These are small steps forward. And what people do is they spend so long waiting to make a decision in terms of what direction to go that because they've now spent 12 months making this decision, they're so committed to this track. They don't now deviate from it. The trick is just to go, let's go today, just start. And then once we've taken the first five steps, we can readjust, you know, I'm here in Yorkshire in England. Whereabouts are you based? Where are you, Geraldine? Whereabouts? In, uh, in Idaho. So in the way Northwest. In Idaho. In Idaho. Okay. okay. I'm actually based at an airport here. So if I went and spoke to a pilot now and said, right, you've got to take me to Idaho. He's not just going to point the plane in one direction and just kind of head off in that direction. And that's it. The first thing he's got to do is get off the runway. He's got to take off into the wind, into the headwind and get it up into the sky and then he's going to kind of point it roughly in the right direction. And he's going to make a thousand incremental decisions between now and actually arriving with you. You know, it's not one big decision. It's many, many small ones. Yeah. I love that it's many small decisions and I couldn't agree more. The the sort of catastrophic thinking of, oh my God, all my clients are going to leave me and then I'll be left with nothing. And that's not at all how it works. It's no, it's fine too. Let's rehearse the conversation. Let's script it out. Go and have it. See what happens. And time and again, what happens is that the client goes for either the middle or the most expensive package to the shock of the CPA. So, and I have yet to see a client, one of, a client of one of my clients who in a sort of repricing, let's reevaluate your service conversation has left. The vast majority go for the middle because we design it that way. And some of them even go for the most expensive, expensive. And on rare occasions, they just, they go with the um, least expensive package. It's diametrically opposed to the catastrophized version that exists in the client's mind. You hit on quite an interesting top. You've just hit on an interesting subject there, Geraldine, which is the concept of packages and three prices. So I have quite a different view on that. So that could be quite an interesting discussion point if you wanted hmm. to. Well, we'll have to have you back. Go down that one. <laughs> well, let's <laughs> yeah. let's take it and see if it goes anywhere interesting. So tell me, well, tell me what your take is on that. Yeah. Okay. So I know the kind of the three tier pricing option, and uh, I know kind of the history of that, and people like that. We've never subscribed to that in our firm, and I don't teach it. And that's not to say it's not right. We just have a different take on it. 
And our view is that if you've been through a due diligence process to understand exactly where the client is now, where they're trying to get to, the obstacles in the way and, and the speed they want to go at. So you've kind of, you've been through a consultative process. There should realistically only be one outcome that they need. And it's having the confidence to then present that ultimate outcome to them. So the analogy I always give with this, and, and this is where this comes from for me, Geraldine, like I had a business that failed, right? My first business failed and it failed for several reasons, but the main one was because we didn't have the full finance function in place in that business. You know, I didn't have everything I need. I didn't have my hands on the data when I needed it. I didn't have monthly management reports. I had historic data and it wasn't sufficient. And I was basing decisions on intuition rather than on, you know, information and it failed. And so to my mind, I know that when this goes wrong, that businesses can die. And so the analogy I give is kind of a surgeon. So to, if you went to a top surgeon because you had something wrong, you you wouldn't want the surgeon that says, right, how, you know, what, um, what package do you want here? We've got how many stitches do you want in this? We've got kind of like my five stitch package, or I've got like the 10 stitch one, you know, and how much, uh, you know, I mean, the, how much anesthetic do you want in this? We've got a low level. We've got, it's like, no, just put enough stitches in this. So I don't, so nothing falls out afterwards. And so that I survive. And to my mind, the surgeon should, you know, present the ultimate best solution that's in your best interest. And here's the thing, you don't have to go for it or you don't have to go for it now, right? So to our mind, we present the very best solution to the client. If they don't want to go ahead with it, well, then we can look at where we can scale things back. So this is where I do think you can have options. So let's say, for example, you presented, you need monthly management accounts and they've said, well, I think that's a bit steep or we need to bring this down a little bit. Okay, cool. Well, within there, we've got, well, we've got monthly management accounts. We've got quarterly management accounts. So we can kind of bring that methodology in to kind of allow them to have some discussion and uh, in terms of what they need. But one of my big beliefs, Geraldine, is that we should be having these pricing and sales conversations regularly, like every quarter with our clients. Is there anything else we can be helping you with? And sometimes if we attach them to a package, it's then more difficult to incrementally add things to that as we move forward. And so I just believe in that, present the ultimate solution. They don't have to go for it. And then we gradually build them up towards that over time. So I know you may have a different view and I'm not saying that you're wrong. So it's, well, it's interesting. And I think I appreciate the, the nod to the outcome, right? And there should be agreed upon outcomes. I think all too often accountants are too quick to get started and too slow to understand what it is that their client is really trying to achieve. So to come back to the outcomes and to use the surgeon analogy, like, yes, the surgeon should decide how many stitches the client should not have input on that. But if you're to take, say, a cancer diagnosis of, say, a, a benign tumor, yes. um, you, this, you could imagine the surgeon saying, what we want is for you to survive yes. and for you to be healthy. And you've got three options. You can, given this tumor and what we know about it, we can hit it hard with chemotherapy. And, you know, like your chances are 100%. We can do radiology, which is like 90%, and you're not going to get nearly as sick. Or given that it's benign and it doesn't appear to be spreading, we can just watch it and observe it closely. And we can make a decision 
to when it hits a certain trigger, we can do this, right? So there's, yes. I'm not saying that that maps over to accounting, which would be like, we can do nothing and just watch your books. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm, what I'm saying is that, that if the outcome is survival and healthy survival, you could imagine three different possible paths and you could imagine having a conversation with the client and saying, or the patient in this case and saying, yeah. here's what I recommend given that I'm the expert here and you probably don't know too much about this rare cancer that you have. Yeah, yeah. So I think what's most salient here is for the accountant to really give themselves permission to be the expert that they are. You would never want your client coming to you dictating how to, you know, have you thought of this tax shelter and that tax, like that's the <laughs> That's the accountant's job. You don't want the client coming to you dictating how to do cash flow, whatever your scenario planning and so on. You've got to own your expertise in helping the client get where they want. Let's bring it back to value can be huge, something you said a little bit ago, because the value that accountants can provide their clients can be huge, but oftentimes they're not bringing their full value to the table in avoiding some of these conversations. I'm going to just bring it back to your last point. I really like that analogy of, you know, of, of, of presenting those solutions there that are actually based on the, the assessment of a client. And I think where, where people can use the, where people can misinterpret the three tier pricing is where they just have these set packages that, that they don't actually fit anything to do with the client, but it's quite a lazy approach. The clients come and I don't actually care what you say to me. I'm just going to present to you these three packages anyway, because they've kind of fit the majority of other clients. And you know what? It gets me off the hook of having to kind of push you the real one that you need. So I think, I think maybe that's my, where it's been kind of misinterpreted over the years. And I think what we have to have is the confidence to, I've seen the three tip. This is a good point. I've seen the, th I'll say it's a good point. I hope it's a good point. I've seen the three tip pricing package taught. And in the teaching of it, what was said was, you have to establish your client's maximum willingness to pay and then present them a, a, a package that fits their maximum willingness to pay. And I think that's my bugbear with it because here's the thing, your client's maximum willingness to pay has got nothing to do with you. Like you could come to me with a situation and your maximum willingness to pay is $500 a month. But the real solution you need right now is actually just $200 a month. Like we need to just get your bookkeeping in order or your payroll, right? But likewise, the solution you really need is $3,000 a month. And just because you've told me your maximum willingness to pay is $500 a month, I'm not going to now present you the package that fits $500 a month. I'm going to demonstrate my expertise. I'm going to give you all the certainty I possibly can to show you why you need the $3,000 a month package because it's the thing that's going to save you. And if you don't go with this, this is the thing that's going to happen. And we become so fearful um, the, of, of judgment and, and of rejection that we don't do that. And, and so, but it's selfish not to do this, Geraldine, because what, you, what you're saying is my fear of being judged is, is more important to me than me helping you to get the thing that you really need. Like I'm putting my feelings first here, not you, not your, ma I'll dress it up however I want in my mind. I'll say, oh yeah, but she only had this amount of money to pay or she, she got, you know, she got ripped off by her last accountant. So I didn't dare present that. No, no, no. You're just putting your own feelings first still, because if you really cared about this person, you would present what they need. And here's the thing. I think this is, this is a really important point, especially now. There is not a lack of money in the world, right? People still have money. I read a thing this week. Um, 
Amazon are now doing $1.4 billion a day. Jeff Bezos has gone from being the richest man in the world to being the richest man in the world, right? People are spending their money on Amazon. They, Jeff doesn't have a problem with taking money from people, okay? And so you are, we, we have this thing in our head that we think if we charged it, this is what goes on in people's heads. If we charge this client this amount of money, their kids aren't going to be able to eat. They're not going to be able to afford their rent. They have the cash. They've all got 70-inch plasma TVs on the wall. The kids all have iPhones in the pocket. They're all driving BMWs. They have the money. And if they don't, they're prepared to go into debt to get the things that they want. Don't worry about the money side of things. It's there. You just have to have the confidence to present what you would want if you were them, knowing what you know. That's it. I love that. And a reframe of what you said in there, taking money from people. And I think accountants have it set up as when I charge them, I'm taking money from them. I think of it as debits and credits and less money for you, more money for me. That's the dynamic rather than if I charge you more, we can help you make more money Yes, by providing a better, more powerful, more impactful service. 100%. I love this conversation. We could go on all day, but we'll have to have you back. (laughs) So James, if people want to find out more about you and your work, where can they find you? Sure. So connecting with me on LinkedIn, we share a lot of content on there. We're always sharing everything that we're doing, lots of videos and, and, and content there. So you can find me, James Ashford on there. Uh, If you want to go a little bit deeper and find out about the philosophies, understand the mindset that's actually holding you back, how to handle client objection, the real reasons why clients say no, then I suggest you go and grab my book, which is Selling to Serve. You can get that on Amazon and uh, the Audible version will be out of that soon. You can get the Kindle version, paperback version. That's the very best way that I can help you. If you really want to go deep and solve this mindset issue, Selling to Serve will do that for you. And then if you're looking for the technology or the software to be able to then go and implement some of these pricing philosophies and to be able to have a systemized approach to pricing, uh, then go proposal, go and check that out. You can get a demo on the website. You can go and take it for a test drive, whatever it is that you want to do. And you can find that at goproposal.com. Excellent. James Ashford, it's been such a pleasure to have you on. Thank you for coming on the podcast. That's been awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Geraldine. Thank you so much, James, for coming on the podcast. I have lots of conversations around sales for CPAs, and the overarching theme to all of these conversations is that when sales is done well, it's not at all pushy or aggressive. It's with the underlying intention that what is being offered is in the best interest of the client. And I love what James said here. Offering high-value services is good for your clients. Training them on how to be organized is good for your clients. Establishing a relationship where you are in the lead is good for your clients. If you're ready to have so-called difficult conversations about upgrading your clients' services and pricing, but it all feels too daunting and you don't know where to start, take the next right step. And that is simply to put 20 minutes on my calendar. In a free short meeting, I can help you see where your opportunities are, which clients to talk to first, how to price, and what to say. You can find the link to schedule a free 20-minute meeting with me in the show notes of any podcast episode. All right, that's it from me. Have a great week. Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? In Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking. 
while maintaining revenue. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there.